The Incomparable, number 216, October 2014. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and this is going to be another edition of our book club. We're going to talk about a bunch of different books in a particular genre. I'm hoping this will be a little spoiler light, so you can listen, maybe find some books you want to read, uh, maybe suggest some books to, to us, although, unless you're listening live as we record this, we won't hear you for a while. Um, anyway, London Urban Fantasy is the topic. I realized not too long ago that I had read a whole bunch of different books that were set in London that featured magic. Um, and uh, I thought that was a really interesting like trend that all of a sudden accidentally, um, although this, although <laughs> to be fair, three of the books were by people who've written episodes of Doctor Who, so maybe that has something to do with it. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk about those books and other books that my panelists have read that are are vaguely connected to sort of magic and and london and urban fantasy um i have i have an excellent panel to talk about this with me today erica ensign is here hello hello good to have you i am always happy to come and talk about uh doctor who writers doing well really anything i was going to say doctor who related things are happening so i'm glad <laughs> of course you would be here because <laughs> yep. that's, that's how it has to work dan morin is also out there hi dan hi jason how are you thanks for reading uh, that's, uh, you know, uh, you sound like my second grade teacher. <laughs> Thank you for literacy. Reading is fundamental, Dan. Uh, yes, I enjoy it. Riff. Uh, and now, a very special panelist. He's been on the Incomparables back channel mailing list for the very beginning, just as he was on the TV.net back channel mailing list from the very beginning. He's been listening to all of our conversations for more than 200 episodes and has never appeared on a podcast, but that changes with this episode. It is my friend from back at UCSD, David Burkhart. Hi, David. Hi, thank you. Yay, you're here. Yay, I'm finally here. Your streak of being just a secret person who was lurking is over. No more lurking for you. Unless you edit me out of this entire podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, you've heard now from my two panelists. Hmm, What? No. (laughs) He was never here. Um, where should we start? I mean, I, I, I feel like I kind of want to start with um, with Neil Gaiman, only because after many, many years of it being out there, I read I read Neverwhere, which I, I have to laugh because the Wikipedia page for, for um, Neverwhere is, it refers to it as a novelization, which I know technically it is, but it's just very strange. I, I you know, it's like... Did you not come to the, the show first? No, I've never seen the show. Oh really? The show's actually kind of fun. Never. I like it. Yeah, I I watched it. I watched it first and and then read the book sometime later, I, and I, think, I enjoyed both in very different ways. I think I watched the TV show after I had read it, um, and it's it is very good. Although I think the reason he wrote the book eventually was because he, some things in the show didn't turn out the way that he wanted them to. Specifically, some of the stuff that's more like special effects heavy. Well, it was the eighties, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah. Right. Well, then again, I mean, maybe Eric 90s, will agree if 90s. you're used to like yeah. old Doctor Who episodes with like, <laughs> questionable yes. production values, you'll probably be fine. All right. All right. Yep. And, and I, I should say, I've never read any Neil Gaiman anything. People keep telling me to, you know, these people kept telling me to read China Miaville and uh, Neil Gaiman. Yeah. So I read some China Miaville, and I decided those people were not to be trusted. Okay. You are right, uh, that, sir. You went, oh. in, but, you went in the wrong order there, though. But yeah. apparently people are telling me now, people I trust are telling me I should go to the Neil Gaiman, and I, I, I downloaded, I did download Neverwhere. So we, we're already off the track here, but what China Mayville did you read? Because this is the thing is, I've, I've read some of his <laughs> books divisive. and loved them, and I've abandoned some of his books. Yeah, the Perdido Stadium. Oh, no, no, yeah, no, don't do that's that. That's what I read, too. I, I read that. I read Awful. three of those. Oh, my God. <laughs> I kind of thought that, you know, there are some parts of them which are, they're very interesting. He is a very evocative writer, but I couldn't really he's the, stomach. He is the reason I can't stand steampunk. It's because oh, of that's those, so that book. That's <laughs> yeah. So Perdido Street Station, I don't like that book at all. I, I literally did put it down about a third of the way through. I thought this was terrible. And I came to it after several of other of his books, which I'm glad that's the direction I came because I think The City in the City is Fantastic book, Hmm. like George Orwell, nineteen eighty four level of genius book, and uh, I really, uh, I really liked Embassy Town, although not everybody did. I really Mm. liked it. Mm. 
<laughs> didn't didn't like I did it not so much. like it, but that's that's a story but, that's already been covered in but another I think episode. In another episode they covered, but I think we can all agree on the city and the city, so you should check Fantastic. that out if you ever yeah. want to give China Mieville another shot. And then Gaiman, right. yeah, I came to him late. I came to him with American Gods. I'd never read anything else that he'd done. I never read the Sandman when it came out, the comics. Um, and I, and I never saw the Neverwhere series, but I really liked Neverwhere as a as a book. I thought it was really fun. This idea that there is, and we'll we'll hear this again as we talk. But there's that there's this upper city of that's the one that sort of people see, and then there's the other thriving underground London, which is both literally and figuratively underground, which is powered by um, powered by magic. And of course, we have a regular person who gets sucked into this magic world doesn't even realize that he he's he's been sucked into it and uh ends up in a grand adventure with lots of crazy characters including um the marquee which is the doctor who mm-hmm. sort of analog character i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah as a matter of fact uh patterson joseph who played the marquee Dig carabas in the show was uh rumored several times to be yeah. a final pick for the doctor yeah, he's a good he's a good actor. He's also a, he's also a number wang contestant. If you like that Mitchell and <laughs> Webb look, he's he's a number wang contestant. I think he shows up in Jekyll too, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and it, doing a rather a terrible terri- American accent. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> the so worst bad. American accent. <laughs> yeah, um, but I I will say I, I think that this idea of I believe in, in Neverwhere they call it London Below um, mm-hmm. is resonant. You know, I think there's a reason why, you know, as Jason pointed out, he's read so many books that have to do with urban fantasy in London. And that's because not only is this a city with thousands of years of history, uh, but much of that is literally below it. So you have elements of these sort of layered approach of all these cultures that have built on top of other things. And sort of, there's a rich tapestry there and, and in, in everywhere in particular, where so many of the characters, are are like physical manifestations of places or things in London um, because London itself, if you've ever spent any time there, has these evocative names. And I, I can see why Neil Gaiman decided to pull on that for this this story because there's so many things in there that it's just so, you know, like Blackfriars and Islington, the Angel of Islington and all this stuff. There's all these these fascinating ideas <laughs> Who also is played by the guy who is currently yeah. Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> what one of the things I liked a lot about that is is the fact that he's he's pulling from places which are historical places and he's also pulling from like the interesting history of the underground where there are so many stops and stations that just aren't used anymore. And he I can't remember if they actually shot there for for when they were filming or if he was just able to visit um when they were like doing set scouting and stuff but he was actually able to go to one of these just these platforms underground where you know the trains just zip by they don't actually stop there anymore and it's just this deserted sort of thing and and that kind of of idea always has appealed to me we don't have so much of that in this country or or the country that you guys are in um because uh, you know yeah. we don't have these you know we ha- there hasn't been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of, of building up like like uh, dan was saying so i i think the idea of finding hidden tunnels and and stuff that people have forgotten for centuries uh to be it just it actually comes up in several of these books and i think it's great yeah, not to digress, but it's funny because it does come up in non-London urban fantasy, like books set in New York. They'll be down in these huge sewer systems, and it's not true. It's But it is true in London. There really is this huge sewer mm-hmm. system and this uh, the underground that uh, has a lot of space. The um, uh, what is it? Is it mimic the movie? That's that that yes. one of the plot yeah. points is that there is a disused subway station that the bugs have taken over, and uh, and and it's true actually that. The uh, there's a museum for the New York subway that uh, is itself in a uh, disused uh, subway station. That's where the museum is. You go down into the subway station, and that's where. It's there's crazy. apparently a couple of those in Boston too. Uh, uh, they're redoing uh, one of the T stops here, and it's built. I think it was built on top of an older subway station because those go all the way back to like the 1800s. What a perfect place to set a story, right? In this creepy, like it's a whole subway platform, but there's nothing uh-huh. there, and that's great. And then I, I wanted to mention. Um, uh, you mentioned. Uh, Angel Islington. The Angel Islington is such a key figure in Neverwhere. And I've been to London four or five times now. Um, 
And it was not until my last visit, only like six months ago, I was uh, staying with a friend in the north of London and we were riding the bus and we got off at Angel Station in Islington and I just started to laugh because I didn't get that joke <laughs> until that moment. And I was like, oh, Neil Gaiman, you, you know, because well, just a stupid American, I didn't get the joke. Everything in that book is kind of like that. I mean, you've got things like the Old Bailey, right? Like in what, Earl's Court and all this stuff that's like, there mm-hmm. are places in London. But, you know, which if, again, if you probably lived in London, you would be immediately recognizing them. But many of us don't. Yeah. No, for me, it was how I learned that those were places in London. So now when I hear them referred to in other British shows, I'm nodding along being like, yep, I know that because I never wear. Thanks, Neil Gaiman. <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, it's good. I, actually, it's funny. The... um the uh, another another uh urban fantasy book that i'll mention later has this it, it's the same thing it, it it has a whole lengthy uh bit about the underground the underground there's something amazing about that and uh, well i'll mention it now because i don't think dan you read the madness of angels right the by kate yeah. griffin which was recommended by one of our our listeners on our goodreads group which is really awesome she was like why are you not mentioning any women writers and i i started reading this book i'm not done with it yet but i really like it um and one of the funniest things in it and it makes me you know i'm liking a book when i'm um imagining what the movie would look i'm like i'm like casting and and shooting the movie in my in my mind i'm like wow that would make a great scene there's a great scene where uh two characters are on the run from a kind of a shadow monster and they and they uh get to the underground station and tap their oyster cards on the tap thing to get it through the turnstile and then he reads from the fine print on the back of the oyster card as his spell and basically he says if you don't have a ticket you can't come in and the the shadow monster doesn't have a ticket mm-hmm. and therefore is prevented from coming in it's so great <laughs> yeah i i i do like those i'm more impressed by uh her as a writer even so when when i was reading them i think i read the first one the year or two after it came out which was in 2009 um and she's like she was like 24 or something when she wrote those that's an amazingly awesome book to write at age 24 and yeah. she's written like do- a dozen novels or something and it's quite good and it was enough so that like you know, uh, reading, you know, it's just, it's an incredibly well-drawn world. Um, and it has these, again, kind of like Neverwhere, all, all these fascinating links into all these things in London. Uh, and some of the subsequent books go into other different places there. Mm-hmm. And um, she comes up with some really clever ideas that seem to fit really well. And I, I now realizing I looked at the Wikipedia page since we started talking about this, I was like, oh, there's like three more books in this series I haven't read yet. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's always good to find more books that I good books that I haven't yet read. Yeah, so definitely thanks thanks to I wish I I had the name of of the uh, person who who sent me the the note to read it because it's because of her that I oh Lindsay listener Lindsay Taylor thank you for recommending that book. Uh, anything more about Neverwhere? Or I'm going to let you guys talk about whatever other books you want to talk about. All right, who would like to mention something? Who would like to talk about something that they've read that falls into this category? Well, this is David. I'll, I'll jump in on the the Borables uh, because I don't think you're familiar with that, but it's I think it influenced Gaiman and a lot of these writers um, in really being one of the. I, I wanted to say one of the first London urban fantasies, although I realize Bram Stoker kind of got there first with Dracula, but it's about these uh, kids that have turned into Borables. They get pointy ears and they steal and they um, get into adventures and. They, uh, they, in the first book, they're fighting these things called the Rumbles, um, which are, apparently were based on a beloved children's show in England, which had a backlash. But fortunately, when I read this book in, in junior high, I didn't know that. So I'm sure if they, it had been, uh, them attacking Kermit and Miss Piggy, uh, ripoffs, <laughs> I would have been a little sensitive about it too. But since I didn't know these characters, but it's, it's, it's clever, it's funny, and it's, to me, what was what was striking about it, uh, especially reading it for the first time, you know, was that it was so real. I mean, you could pull out a map of London and follow exactly the streets they were going on. And I didn't realize until I was rereading it recently and actually using the Internet and Google Street Maps that he was naming specific places like they were in an old lo- abandoned locksmith shop. And there really was one on that street back in the 80s or the 70s when this first book was written. But... Um, what I also thought was striking about it was just that it was, it doesn't have the normal person that 
finds this world, this hidden world. It actually just starts with the character of who's a Bora Ball and then the adventures and they get into some several adventures. It's a trilogy that uh, last book actually wasn't published until later um, because of the, the Brixton riots. Uh, the publisher, there's a great letter you can find online where the, the publisher decided that it now was not the right climate in London to publish a book that uh, of defiance to the police, huh. but I highly recommend the the whole trilogy, and I, I think you'll you would see a lot of threads, and, it, and a lot of it takes place in a different underground in London, the the sewer system. So there's a lot of uh, I think there's influence on rivers, the rivers of London too, because they're they're going along all these underground rivers and um, exploring that world. So I really like that book. This is the by Michael D. Larabetti. Larabetti. <laughs> I was. I was. I, I would have said that first if I pronounce it. I think Larabetti. Larabetti. Michael D. Larabetti. All right. But uh, he's who also has an interesting history if you read his obituary. Uh, um, but he, uh, yeah, I think I think that Borable trilogy I highly recommend, and I think especially after having read a bunch of the other ones and coming back to it, you see how it influenced and Gaiman certainly uh, acknowledged it. And I think he was behind um, a recent. I think he was one of the writers really pushing for it to be republished recently. Well, time for a brief break to tell you about our sponsor, Lynda dot com. You've heard me tell you about them before. L y n d a dot com, an easy and affordable way to help people learn. You can instantly stream thousands of courses created by experts on business, software, web development, graphic design, and more. Lynda dot com works directly with industry experts and software companies, so you get the best timely training. Often the same day new versions or releases of software hit the market. You'll always be up to speed. You're learning from the experts. And all of the courses on lynda.com are produced at the very highest quality in their state-of-the-art studios. These are not homemade videos on YouTube that you found in they're coming from somebody's basement. It's not like that. These are professional videos from the experts. Every course is broken into bite-sized pieces so you can learn at your own pace and learn from start to finish or hop in, get the answer to a question that you're wondering about, and then hop back out and get back to work. Lynda.com has great tools like searchable transcripts, playlists, and even certificates of course completion. You can publish those on your LinkedIn profile. If you're a professional in the field, that's a perfect fit. Whether you are a beginner or an advanced user, lynda.com has courses at your level. So if you're just wanting to start out, you can find what you need. And if you're a pro who's just trying to solve a very specific problem, they've got you covered there too. And you can learn anywhere because lynda.com lets you view on a website, on your iPhone, on your iPad, on an Android device, all of those places you can get to lynda.com. How much does it cost? One low monthly price of $25 gives you unlimited access to over 100,000 different video tutorials in the lynda.com library. And if you are a premium member of lynda.com with an annual plan, you can download courses to your iPhone, iPad, or Android device and watch them offline and also download all the project files so you can practice along with the instructor. I've learned a lot from lynda.com over the years, things about logic uh, to edit this very podcast, uh, things about web design to build sites like my site six colors just you know it is a, such a great resource to learn especially technical topics i highly recommend that you check out lynda.com and here's what you need to do i've worked out a deal with lynda.com to provide you with a special offer you can access every course in lynda.com's library free for seven days so take seven days off of work and get a lot of coffee and learn huge amounts in just seven days by visiting lynda.com slash incomparable to try lynda.com free for seven days. L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash incomparable. Thank you so much to lynda.com for sponsoring The Incomparable. Erica, anything you want to throw out there in this category? Well, I guess uh, I haven't read a ton in this genre, or I hadn't until I started cramming for this <laughs> podcast. Yay! Um, I, I, I tend to swing more towards just science fiction and yeah, you know, epic fantasy. So, um, but I I read well. I had read Neverwhere because I came to it as I said through the through the series. Um, but earlier this year, at the very beginning of the year, I was also cramming. Actually, it seems like urban fantasy in London is is something that I have to just cram every time mm. um, because uh, Paul Cornell's book. 
um, the Severed Streets actually came out this year, and that was the second in a series. Uh, the first one was called London Falling, and I was going to see Paul at the Gallifrey One convention this year in February, and uh, my podcast co-host Deb was going to be interviewing him on stage about his his forthcoming book and the previous book. So, of course, I wanted to go and, and see that, and I hadn't read the book yet. So I, I think I finished it on the plane on the way to Galley, uh, got it in. Um, which ended up, thank goodness, being no trouble whatsoever because I didn't want to put it down. I really enjoyed mm. it. It is it is another one of those those books where you've got your regular old London, which you know could be our London in our world for all we know, and yet there's actually uh, sort of outside of the the eyeline of mortal folk, there's a lot of magic happening all the time. And in Neverwhere, it's it's literally below for the most part, uh, whereas here it's just kind of all around us but you can only see it if you have, quote-unquote, the sight, or if you're sort of magical somehow. And I think the the cool hook of London Falling is that you've actually got a team of four kind of police-type people. You've got a detective, a couple of undercover agents, an analyst, um, and they're, they're working on a case, and they happen to be in this room when something happens uh, near the beginning of the book, and that, that imbues them all with this sight. So they're actually able to see the ghosts that are just wandering up and down the street. And, you know, the the angels and devils and type things that are sitting on people's shoulders and telling them what to do and, and all kinds of other fantastical, neat stuff like that. Um, and and I, I love that idea that suddenly somebody gets, you know, thrown into this world that they didn't know existed. That's kind of the, the heart of the, the urban fantasy thing, at least in, in all of these books I've read so far. But the, the part that I like the best about this is that you've got these people who are cops and they have this this basically murder mystery going on, but it turns out that it's some some supernatural force or creature or, or person who committed it. So they have to use regular old police technique, you know, the whiteboard and, and all that kind of stuff, um, because that's really the only weapon that they have. They don't have any special powers. They're just able to exist in this world and, and see what's going on. So they use, you know, step by step, feet on the ground police work to try to to see what they can do against these creatures. And I think it's a fascinating way to, to make the two worlds intersect. Uh, and it works. I think it works well. I think some of the, the other guys have read it too, yeah. right? I, I read uh, London Falling. I haven't read The Severed Streets yet. And um, I really like it. Like, it's really good. I guess I guess they, they're calling this the Shadow Police series. But one of the things I really like Correct. about about this is, you know, again, uh, this is the um, – like like the Ben uh, Aronovich uh, books that we're going to talk about too today. Um, this is it, – it's about um, – there's like magical law enforcement essentially, but, w- but the way it works here is fascinating. I mean, you alluded to it. Basically, they don't know what they're getting into. These are just cops. They're investigating. Mm-hmm. They're not magic cops. They don't start out as magical cops. They're not the magic police. They're just police. And then there's this accident essentially where they're touching something they shouldn't, and they're all <laughs> given the sight. They suddenly have vision to this entire other world that they didn't have before, and they realize this crime they're investigating is a mu- is a much bigger and more magical thing that's happening and that's great on so many different levels because they have to they have to accept that this is true they have to try to adapt their policing skills to something that's kind of un- like i believe in this book there are a few instances where they're they, they're thinking like i could punch this person or something it's like no it's not a person and you can't punch it <laughs> and and um so I really like that, that it's accidental and that they're not they, – they do sort of end up being the special magic squad, but it's not because they – I mean, it's – and so I guess it's sort of an origin story. But I really like that, that they have no idea it was an accident and here they are. Um, mm-hmm. And I really, I, really liked, I really liked that about it. Yeah, I like it a lot too. And I think, I think it, works, it works as a police procedural even before the magic comes in, which I really liked. That impressed me. But also I like that they didn't have the, you know, the master, the, the, the sort of tour guide kind of <laughs> character mm-hmm. that, that I think I actually in the rivers of London series, a lo- there's a little bit of a weakness that, uh, there's this, you know, old wizard Nightingale that, uh, is kind of, is very powerful and th- he keeps having to, to find Aronovich keeps having to find ways to get him out of the picture um, <laughs> right? and only bring him, you know, and, and avoid bringing him in to save the day. And that this book, it's a lot, 
more interesting to see them kind of trying to piece piece it together like you said like it's it's like the wire with magic <laughs> that actually leads really well into what i was about to say which was just that i think that that the fact that they're just sort of thrown in feet first makes it feels like it's a much grittier book than any of the other uh any of the other urban fantasies that I've read thus far. Uh, and you get some really interesting character development with these people because they're four very different people and they all uh, have to kind of go through something different in order to deal with the emotional implications of, of what it is that they are, are finding out. You know, not everybody is going to react quite the same when they discover that there are, you know, giant things roaming the streets that most people can't see. There's... um. It, it, the four these are four really well drawn characters i mean you 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 mm-hmm. both alluded to it i i really like that about it and yeah it it is gritty from the start the, I, it's a really great like crime novel and you've got a guy who's undercover and is he dirty or not dirty and it's un, really unclear um and that's and you 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 enter with that right and you're like oh what's going on what's this going to be I thought this was about magic and it's only like again the book almost accidentally obviously not <laughs> not in reality but as you're reading it it's like you're literally like you're reading a regular crime novel that then has a little a little mistake happens and then there's magic and it's mm-hmm. it's pretty cool <laughs> it is and and you know like like a lot of good police stories anyway things aren't black and white and so these characters are trying to deal with their own issues about sort of good and evil and whether they're good or not while they're you know encountering some true evil and some weirdness <laughs> yeah and actually the uh I, without being spoilery about the second mm-hmm. book um it really carries on very well as far as the character development it's you know there's there's no weird reset button and they're not jumped you know ahead uh, so much farther that you miss some of the the journey that they've gone on it it it, it does a good job of sort of picking up and making it clear that these are still the same characters you get get an arc and and I think last I saw on Twitter he's he was like I think last week fifty thousand words into the next book and mm. thought it was going pretty well and Paul is the first person who will tell you when stuff is not going well so that's a good mm-hmm. sign that's great uh Dan would you like to talk about something yeah I think I've already mentioned this series on the show but it was way way back so I'm gonna mention it again because it does fall perfectly into this category and that is Mike Carey's Felix Caster series mm. um as uh, I think uh, our our co- occasional co-panelist Tony Sindelar pointed out in the chat room, uh, Mike Carey, probably better known for his comic book writing, uh, including Lucifer, which is the uh, the character I believe first developed by oh, Neil Gaiman. That's um, where I know the name from. <laughs> yeah, more recently, The Unwritten. The Unwritten, yeah. And which we did uh, a book he, club about, or a comic he book did club a uh, significant arc on Hellblazer, um, John Constantine, and uh, he's written a bunch of he's written a bunch of other stuff so i think he's written some x-men stuff too um so he's he's quite a talented writer but this is one of i think his only major novel series he does recently have a novel out under the name mr carry i think um but this is a set in london it's a very very noir series but instead of the main character being a detective he's an exorcist um, and so basically he's a freelance exorcist for hire. He goes around and he can get rid of ghosts by playing essentially a tin whistle. Um, that is not the only way to get rid of ghosts, but it's how he does it. Um, what I really like about this series is that it does a great job of lining up with sort of your noir sensibilities. Fix is always, as he's called Fix, he's always kind of down on his luck. He wears this big shabby overcoat. He gets beat up a lot. He's not particularly, you know, tougher or like heroic, really. Um, but he always seems to find himself in situations where that seems to come up. Um, there's an ongoing arc throughout a bunch of the books about one of his his really really good friends who is possessed by a very powerful demon, um, and then some other characters who come in, including a, a succubus. Um, and a bunch of interesting other sort of uh, minor characters. I think there's a zombie who's also a computer expert who lives in a like very refrigerated, I think it's like an old movie theater or something. Um, it's very clever. It's exceedingly well-written. He is just a fantastic writer when it comes to the nuts and bolts of putting language together. Um, and some of the books are more hit, and, hit or miss than others, but in particular, I think the last couple, and there are five so far, with the promise of a sixth at some indeterminate point in the future, um, some of them are just incredibly 
incredibly imaginative and really, really engrossing to the point of, you know, they're creepy. They're super creepy. (laughs) Um, He does a great job of, I I don't really like horror books, but this is about as close as I'll get. Um, And there's, there's some stuff in there that's, that's genuinely disturbing. Um, And, I, but all of it is just done with such a deft touch and with, at times, incredibly dark humor. Um, and it's just, they're great. They're re- it's a really good series. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's one of my favorite book series from the last, uh, you know, five or six years. And hearing, I was just sort of Googling around as we're here, like, oh, is there a sixth book coming out? Because I keep hearing rumors about it. And, and it sounds like there might be some indeterminate point in the future. So this has become my new, uh, my replacement for Scott Lynch and Patrick Rothfuss as the white whale of my, <laughs> I'm waiting for this book to come out. It will never come out, but I'm waiting. So I, I, I it sounds like a lot of people have read it, which is a, which is a shame because it's so good. Um, I say get the 2A bookstore immediately. For the devil you know. By mm-hmm. Mike Carey. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's a strong recommendation. Um, let me then throw out another book that I think maybe all of us have read, Rivers of London. Ben Aronovich, that's his name. Yeah. Which apparently is called Midnight Riot in the U.S., which seems totally wrong. <gasps> so wrong. I don't so understand. That makes no more sense to me than the actual title. In fact, the actual nope. title is quite a bit better, so I don't really get it. <laughs> Well, I, I, I can tell, I can tell you why I think they did it because, because stupid Americans like you know action and fighting and stuff and rivers of London. First of all, that's foreign. Americans don't always take kindly to that. Mm. And uh, and then you also you know there is a scene that's that's a, a riot sort of thing in the book. I guess. Even though it's just one, whereas you actually have rivers of London kind of throughout the book. Yes, so that's a much better. T- I was I was just kind of incensed by that, so I yeah. <laughs> got really mad. There's controversy about the cover, too, because they have this, you know, black man in shadow holding a gun. Um, and they, they made it so it wasn't clear that he was black. By the way, and, you know, constables do not carry guns. Yeah, I was going to say, I I didn't see the cover because I read it as a Kindle book, but that is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. that's and then they, terrible. The original cover, you wow. could see his face and see that he was a black man, but they did this, like, silhouette. And it just... It, I'm just... It, I'm, so I'm amused by it. the carrying of a gun when most British no. British police officers don't carry no, guns. No, that's it's so weird. Yeah. So, so an image, do an image search on Midnight Riot on Google, and you will be irritated. Yeah. So so uh, so David alluded to it here, which is this this is a this is a story about a, a different way that this gets set up. Right. This is this is about how there's basically like. Um, there's basically no magic, or at least we think there's no magic, and then there's this guy. Peter Grant, who, who who meets a ghost and <laughs> has um, has magical ability, and he basically gets taken under the wing of an old like you get the the sense like one of the last old wizards who's really grumpy and basically says um, I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you about magic stuff and I'm gonna open this world to you. So unlike the the Paul Cornell book where the people all just sort of have to learn about it um, when there's this accident. Here he's being let in on a secret. But what I like about it is it's it's not quite Harry Potter where he's let in on an active world that he's now a part of. It's more like he's stumbling in and the party's over, and <laughs> and he's now this oddity where he's like the last guy left is still there, and he's like, all right, I guess I'll pass this to you now, and. Uh, I thought that was really cool, and then there's also the dynamic of he is a he is a young black uh, detective, and or young black uh, policeman, and then there's this old white man, and so you know he's dealing with he's dealing with uh, the race issues in the in the in, in the city and in the police department. It, it's a it's a fascinating, uh, rich setup where, uh, and you really root for the guy also because he's bringing modernity into this old building that they have. That's the musty old building with the kind of undead um, uh, cook <laughs> who lives there, and uh, electronics don't work in the building, <laughs> so he ends up living in the horse stable, which is a garage, uh, and he's got his TV out there, 
Um, it's just I love the setting of this that, that because it's done that way. And and you're right, you do have this figure uh, who knows everything and can and and he gets taken, he gets put in the hospital in one book, I think, and it's like he's taken off the board mm-hmm. many times so that so that Peter Grant doesn't know what he he has to do. But um, but I really liked I really liked this setting, and then you know it is a it is a cop story. This is all detectives and and uh, medical investigators and. Um, I I really like that about it. That again, we're we're really. I mean, we're really. It is the magic cops. This is like literally. He's discovered mm-hmm. that there were magic cops, and he might become the 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 last magic cop. Yeah, it's interesting because he comes into you know an institution that already exists, which is different from the shadow police. Yeah. And and I like that you know they are using hard boiled police methods to try to track down m- mythical killers. He is starting to learn magic. And, you know, bringing that in, he's actually applying scientific principles to the study of magic yeah. to try to figure it out mm-hmm. as much as he can. And I think I really like that aspect of the book because I, as a reader, am very curious about, you know, how does this magic work? What makes it tick? So I like the fact that this main character who the book is actually in first person. So mm-hmm. it's told specifically from the point of view of Peter Grant. So I like the fact that we get in his head and, and that he has a lot of the same curiosity that I do as a reader, because that's exactly what I would do. And that he's a he's a giant nerd too. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like <laughs> yeah. he is like there's all these references to pop culture things. I I love that there's a later book um, which involves some stuff happening literally underground, and he makes multiple references to these particular magical beings he, he encounters as being Earthbenders, which is an <laughs> Avatar: The Last Airbender reference. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> like he's a nerd. Like us. and there's Harry Potter references. I feel like, and a bunch oh, yeah. of other things that are oh, kind yeah. of like tossed up because that is that is how you would deal with it, right? If you were like if you existed in our world and you encountered this stuff that was otherworldly, the only way you would sort of be able to wrap your mind around it was like, okay, I guess this is kind of like these fantasy books that I liked. Um, and in that sense, Peter, it makes Peter incredibly approachable and incredibly, uh, uh, you feel very sympathetic to him because you're, you're sort of processing everything the same way that he is. And maybe it's to be expected, but I lost track of how many Doctor Who references there were. Yes. I, I actually have read, I am in the middle of the uh, fifth book right now, fourth book. Whichever is the most recent one that came out. I don't think out. the fifth one is out yet. That's the one that comes out in January. Okay, so yeah. I'm in the middle of the fourth book right now, and there's a Linda with a Y joke. Like, that's how deep <laughs> that's how deep his Doctor Who cuts are. Wow, that's so deep, I don't even get it. <laughs> it's from one episode. Yeah, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a very, very specific reference. David, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, he's got a great voice, too, and and he he's a probationary police constable at the beginning so he's he's still trying to make his way mm. in the police force and then now he's got this new wrinkle of trying to figure out this this magic world which, which hurt, think... hurts his career essentially right because he gets yeah, assigned yeah. to this crappy magic guy although he, he he didn't really think he was destined for greatness anyway so <laughs> um but i think I, it's a it's a really funny book too i mean i actually laugh out loud funny sometimes so i think it's very enjoyable the only thing that worries me about it is it is. I'm worried it's going to fall into that trap, like you know, True Blood, or you know, where it's, uh, you know, sort of like, uh, oh, this time it's Abbott Costello meet the werewolf. Now it's Abbott Costello <laughs> meet the mummy, and you know, it, it's it's it, he's exploring this magical world, and I think the the river part is so unique. Um, and I actually think they did a good job with the vampires, which there's a reference to yes. some vampires. They're not central, um, but I just want. I'm hoping that they don't go down a road. Of, you know, that he, that he doesn't go down a road of having. Him constantly, you know, finding, oh, yeah, and actually fairies are real and werewolves are real. He does find out fairies are real. So I, I was, I, I I was going to ask how I know Erica said she's partway through the fourth book. Is, have other people read most of the series, all of the series? I've only read the first two. Okay. I will say, yeah, so I've read all for the yeah. first four. And I will say right, that yeah. the, the overarching plot that sort of like goes through them gets stronger and stronger. And, you know, without giving away too much... There's some major stuff that happens towards right. the end of the recent book, so it's really stick with it. That's stick good. with it. It gets yeah, it gets interesting. 
it's worth it. It's definitely worth sticking with it because the stories, yeah, there's some really good stuff and some really good characters. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the rivers. I mean, rivers of London. One of the things that I really like about this setting, too, is that we talked about uh, the underground and things like that. Here, the geography of London is definitely uh, a character and is relevant, but it's relevant in a different way in the sense that the magic is all based on the geography. So the rivers, the the gods of the rivers of London are powers. And in fact, there's a great scene in the first book where they flee the city. And it's like, once they're out of the city, they're safe. They until they go back in the city and then they're not safe again because the power doesn't extend beyond the city. And in fact, different parts of the city are ruled by different, you know, beings that have these elemental powers that spring from, and, and, and it's nice because it springs from the history of before there was even a city here, there were these elemental beings with uh, that were in the rivers and in the trees and whatever. And I really liked that. I thought that was an interesting spin on it, that that's, that's kind of where a lot of this magic comes from. And, 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 you know, you've got these, uh, these kind of bosses they are like mob bosses of magic, but they, their turf is their turf because of the geography, not they haven't staked out the geography. They literally like are the geography. That's their turf. I think that's a really cool spin on it. Yeah. I noticed he spends a lot of time describing um, more than any of these other books, describing the, the geography and the streets and the layout and stuff. And, and also the architecture, there is more description of buildings and rooms <laughs> than I think in any other book I've ever read. And that actually was what made me think of the Borobles, because like the Borobles, I this book made me pull out a map of London and even historical maps of London. And uh, I love maps, so and it's I'd rather look at a map of London than a map of Middle Earth. So I, I like the fact that it's a real places you can look up. Yeah, and I I, I dug. Um, I think this actually gets reused uh, or reused. I think in one of the books, there's a description of a a house that is basically a fake house. Um, it's a third that's book. like a. Is it the third book? Yeah. But it's also used in the most recent Sherlock series. There's yep. this Yeah, where there's like the fake houses that have the facades but are sort of basically built over, you know, the underground essentially. Um but that was really cool. I don't know. I remember when I got to that part in Sherlock, I was like, Oh, I know about these things. I read about them in a book. <laughs> I did exactly the opposite because I had already seen that in Sherlock by the time I read the book and I was like, Oh, I have a picture of this in my head now because I know where it was. <laughs> Pretty cool. I like this series a lot. This is so we should say and we we we, we we mentioned this before, but we should say it. Um, so Ben Aronovich was the script editor of Doctor Who, I think, uh, briefly. Mm-hmm. Was, he, was he not in the 80s? He worked. He was not the script editor, but he worked closely with Andrew Cartmell, who oh, was the right, script the editor. Oh, right. Cartmell master plan Yeah, himself. which apparently Ben Aronovich had a lot, a lot to do with, even though there was no actual master plan. So, but. so well, and that's for a Doctor Who podcast. But Ben Aronovich, anyway, he wrote the 25th anniversary episode of Doctor Who, essentially? He did not. The 25th anniversary episode sucked. Um, he wrote Remembrance of the Daleks, which should have been the 25th anniversary episode. It would have worked much better. Oh, is Silver Nemesis considered the 25th anniversary episode? Yeah, it, it is. It, it had the, you know, the, the budget and the fanfare. Sorry, Doctor Who talk, but I don't even think of that as that. <laughs> because cause, cause Remembrance of the Daleks, which is considered actually one of the highlights of the last, what, five years of the show, ten years of the show, Oh yeah, um, is set at the place where the first episode is set of Doctor Who and it's in this 25th anniversary season and it's got the Daleks in it and it's very much a nostalgic um, referential episode to uh, 1963. And Ben Aronovich wrote that. So so he comes from yeah. that, whereas Paul Cornell was a fan and then wrote a bunch of novels and then wrote a bunch of episodes in the Russell T. Davis era of the new series. But these are both novels that we've talked about. And then Neil Gaiman, you know, has written some stuff during the Stephen Moffat era. So there's a lot of Doctor Who going around in here. I actually wanted to bring up like just a little connection with, uh, in addition to Remembrance of the Daleks, he also wrote Battle- Battlefield. But I'm pretty sure it's in Remembrance of the Daleks that you actually get... Um, Something that was kind of interesting for Doctor Who at the time, which was bringing race relations into it a little bit and having some, you know, a couple of scenes to do with, uh, you know, black characters. And um, they were at a house somewhere where they were, you know, said no coloreds on the uh, on the door on the outside and the, the doctor's companion got all upset. So I thought it was very interesting that, the, you know, one of the few writers to really bring that to the fore back in the 80s in Doctor Who um, then has this series of books that actually has a black main character. And, you know, you, you see the world from their point of view and get get a little bit of how how london has changed since 1963 and and how in some cases maybe it hasn't am i am i right in remembering actually that he is half black and half white i think his father's white 
Um, he oh, he's half black and half. I don't remember what it was. No, because his mother is actually African in the yeah, books. but his dad's. I thought his she dad was his dad's a jazz musician from. Isn't he? I thought he was. I, thought I think he's he white. Was, I think he's described uh, as half he? black and half white. Yeah, oh, interesting. Because I, I I thought that came up as an issue. Yeah, I thought it came up as an issue in you know like in terms of again the race relations being an interesting part of this is like he even has it a little tougher in some cases because that you know considered being a mixed heritage uh, is is mm-hmm. very challenging there. So I always thought that was an interesting an interesting uh, aspect of his character. It, it's definitely, definitely a big part of the flavor of the books. And um, one of the things I like about the second book is the um, you know the fact that it's <laughs> I mean it's like. The mystery of the jazz vampires is sort of could have been the title of it, which is hilarious. And yet it's, you know, as silly as that sort of sounds, it's really cool. And it's a really fun story. And um, and I like how the universe expands. This is one of those things where you can't when you read the first book in a series, you don't know whether the universe is going to expand or whether what you see is what you get. And it's going to be like this from here on out. And with this series, you know, in the first book, you get there's this old guy. And he's the last wizard left, so he's going to teach you. And in the second book, they go visit another guy, and they visit essentially a place that's like it was Hogwarts, but now it's <laughs> empty. And nobody's been there since, what, like since World War II. And you get the sense that there's a really awful history about why there aren't any wizards anymore. And that's amazing. That blew me away because it's like, oh, this isn't what I thought. This is a much bigger story about why the the magicians are absent. And then there's that follow-up that, you know, you 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 learn that maybe they're not absent. <laughs> and that's really <laughs> great too. So it's a it's a great it's a great way where the universe expands over time as the books go along. And I really like some of the secondary characters that they bring in too. I mean like, you know, you've got uh Molly, who is Nightingale's I don't even know what the like I said keeper semi undead spirit house assistant and I'm my favorite character who is actually the the doctor that they call on who is Mm -hmm. um, basically like just really interested in how magic affects people and I think he's described as being he's of you know Arabic descent Arabian descent but he's Scottish I believe (laughs) which is just such a great I mean again sort of playing with all these different like yeah let's just you know this is this is the how things go um and I just I really enjoy their interactions yeah this um magic setup uh reminded me a little bit of Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell I don't know if you guys have read that by Susanna Clark uh really good book I think we mentioned that on a book club too um and they're making a tv miniseries out of that I believe but um Mm -hmm. But that's a um, that that's set in the past. That's set in the 19th century. But but it reminds me of this in the sense that there's this question of like, well, what there was magic? Did it go away? Is it still there? Is it coming back? Um, it had a little bit of that feel to it. But in the modern modern day, I, and I, I love that book. So they're actually making a TV series out of the Rivers of London too. I think, and I think it's the same oh. people that are making the other TV series. I think that's who optioned it. I'm a little nervous <laughs> about how this is going to work as a TV series. I hope it doesn't. You know that they do it well. They're going to have to really cast it well uh, to keep that cleverness and not just become another, you know, Doctor Who like kind of show. So the guy who wrote uh, the most recent most recent episode of Doctor Who is the guy who's adapting it. Oh, oh, he wrote he did, uh, or the, Kill the Moon. Kill the Moon. Yes. Yep. So the guy who wrote Kill the Moon is actually the guy who uh, who is doing the uh, writing of the TV adaptation, and Toby Haynes, who's a Doctor Who director, is directing it. It'll be interesting. <gasps> Seriously? To see. Yeah. Okay, now I'm super excited. <laughs> to Toby wow, that Toby was Haynes. some pretty obscure nerding out there. He's a, he's a good it director. He's a really he's also a little, he's more than a little most. dreamy. I will. Uh, all right, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, <laughs> yep. So if you want your if you like your director's dreamy, Do- Jonathan Strange and Mr. Terrell, and good. Yes, and good, and he is a very good director. Um, actually, I wanted to mention the the um, the Banaranovich series with that setup of there there is an institution that magic is involved with. Um, reminded me of another book that we've covered on the show, but I wanted to mention it again because it's so good, which is The Rook by Daniel O'Malley, mm-hmm. which is similarly a book set in London. Um, involving a a magical agency. This one's staffed up. It doesn't have empty, you know, empty buildings that used to be where they taught trained people. Uh, this one's fully staffed. Um, but that's a that's a fantastic book about the magical bureaucracy that is like the layer below the actual bureaucracy in London. Um, and if anybody out there hasn't read The Rook, you got to read The Rook. It is one of the most fun books that I read in the last ten years, probably. 
man, I'm coming away with this with like way more homework than, than I did for this podcast. But you don't have to cram this stuff because we already That's talked true. about it on the podcast. So you can just at your leisure, you can read. But the Rook is so good. So good. And speaking of uh, how the, um, the Rivers of London universe sort of opened up a little bit with some of this magical police backstory, uh, without giving too much away, mostly because I can't because I don't know it yet, uh, that actually happens in the Shadow Police a little bit, too. You find out that there might have been some uh, some previous law enforcement that was somehow related to the magical realms in London. But even by the end of the second book, I, I still don't have a clear picture right. of that, which is one of the mm-hmm. reasons I'm really excited for the third book to come out. Yeah, I like that sense that, you know, this has been, I mean, that's that's one of the things about magic that, that I think you get that you don't get. Science fiction stories often, it's like, this is the first time this has ever happened. What are we going to do? And with magic stories, it's very much like, this has all happened before, right? It's like, <laughs> you, you you only discovered it now, but these are ancient powers that you are, you only, only know you people are realizing are still around. And it gives you that, just like knowing that there are subway stations that are in the ground unused, having that idea like, there is knowledge from the past that's only now being unearthed. It, gets, it just adds that little creepy, like, ooh, that's exciting. Well, and Rivers of London also has that great, uh, the Nazis were doing this too. They oh, yeah. Were, they were trying mm-hmm. to do this. And they haven't they haven't fully explored that story, which I think is really kind of brilliant that, that every book just reveals a little bit more about what happened in World War II and what impact that had on the magical world. Yeah, that, like there was a magic Manhattan project almost and a magic arms race and mm-hmm. it was devastating apparently, which is mm-hmm. this is the aftermath that Peter Grant walks into, which is just really it's very cool stuff. Let's take another brief break for a visit from a sponsor. You know these guys, but they've got big news. Our sponsor is Squarespace. Now, people on podcasts have been talking about Squarespace for a while, but Big stuff is happening. Squarespace just came out with a brand new version. It's called Squarespace 7, and it makes everything simpler and easier to use while retaining the power and complexity of the Squarespace platform that you already know and love. Squarespace 7 refines all the powerful features from Squarespace 6 into one seamless, unified experience. They've uncluttered your workspace. They've simplified the whole website-making process by letting you add content and customize your design all in one window. You're going to spend less time building your sites and more time doing the stuff you love. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use this offer code, Snell sent me. I like that. That's like a secret agent code. A really bad one because it reveals my name. But let's say my name is a code name. Snell sent me is your offer code for 10% off and a free trial. Some great new features in Squarespace 7 like cover pages. Sometimes you just need a simple page to communicate your personal brand, promote a new product, announce your latest album. I know you're listening, famous rock stars. With cover pages, you get all the power of Squarespace on a single beautiful page. Highly designed. Squarespace has also partnered with Getty Images to bring you integration with Getty Images. That gives you access to more than 40 million professional stock photographs that normally cost hundreds or thousands of dollars per image. They're available for just $10 an image inside Squarespace. They've also got these great new tastemaker templates. Now, what is that? Well, Squarespace is working with leaders in various fields, cool musicians, artists, architects, chefs, to develop new templates that cater to those professions so that you can use the same kinds of designs as some of these incredibly successful and influential people to solve problems that you've got in your life and customize them all you want to make them your own. So again, get started today with a free trial. You don't need to give them your credit card. You can start building your website right now. And when you sign up for Squarespace, be sure to use the offer code Snell sent me to get 10% off and show your support for the incomparable. So thank you very much to Squarespace for your continued support of podcasting and the incomparable Squarespace. A better web starts with your website. What other, what other, um, what other stuff you guys have any any other uh, books in this category that you want to throw out there and uh, recommend? I think I think I already recommend. Oh, so right. I mine would be kind of a digression, but the uh, go I for it, Dan. I recommended a couple weeks ago. I think my urban an urban fancy book that I read that's not actually set in London but in Chicago. Um, that's called, pretty much the same. <laughs> Hot lead, cold iron, but it is it's There's very similar in that it's an urban fantasy and. It's it's deals with a you know detective who's is also in this case a fairy from the you know the fae realms um, solving crime that's magical related. Huh? So 
Hopefully, give that another another nudge up because I thought the first one was really good, and I think there's a couple more books coming in that series. Nice. Yeah, and I, if we're gonna if we're gonna stray a little bit, I will. I have to mention Tim Powers' Declare, um, which t- part of it takes place in London, so I think it counts. But it's a it's have you, I don't know if you've, any of you have read that, but it's a no. like a La Carre book. It's one of my all time favorite books, actually, because especially since I came to it after I was reading all these spy books, and then you read this one, and, and it and it actually every the characters in it who are real are actually in the place that they were that day. Um, in history he he does all that <laughs> but at the same time he's got all this crazy uh explanations of the whole cold war struggle as actually being around uh genies in um arabia so it's, it's i recommend that one and it does have you know some of the the kind of london uh lacare kind of stuff so what, not really in this category one? declare declare by, by tim okay. powers who you've probably heard of oh yeah yeah i've heard of yeah it. Yeah, that actually, you mentioned the genie. I'll, I'll, I'll throw out another ep- book we talked about for an episode, which is The Golem and the Genie um, by Helene Wecker that is set in New York and is very much a an immigrant story. But just as the Syrian immigrants and the Jewish immigrants come to New York, so too does a golem and a genie. And then the fun begins. And it's a really awesome book. We've got we've got a little bit more time, so which is rare for us. So before we go, I thought I would go around and ask that same question, uh, which I, I always phrase as, what are you reading? But it's really like, what have you read lately? Has there been something that you've read lately, other than what we talked about tonight, that you want to <laughs> plug, you want to throw out there, some book that you've been reading that, that you, uh, in general, about any subject that you think would be worth talking about? Dan, got anything? Yeah, I, I in fact, I had forgotten that I was reading this because I put it down to read the uh, uh, the Expanse, and then like oh, yes. eight, four, four, five hundred books, five hundred page books later, I was like, "Oh yeah, I was reading this before," <laughs> um, which is the uh, the latest book by Nick Harkaway called Tiger Man. Oh yeah, oh man, mm. I, I I love Nick Harkaway. Thanks I to really, you. I really do love Nick Harkaway. Um, although I've been following his slow descent into madness on Twitter because I think his wife left him with their kids, and he's just oh. been like doing terrible. Yeah, poor guy. Uh, I offered to send him beer or whiskey, and he politely declined. Um, so his most recent book is Tiger Man. I specifically avoided reading anything about it beforehand, including even the jacket copy when I bought a, a hardcover version of the book. And so I, as a result, I'm not really sure how to describe it other than to say like any of his books, it is incredibly, it is incredibly esoteric. It is unique. I cannot think of another book that uh, approaches it this way, but all I will say is that it involves science fiction superheroes intrigue and a small island somewhere in i think the indian ocean um it is a fascinating book Mm. it is kind of heartbreaking but it is definitely a good read i've enjoyed every book that i have read by him and i honestly have a hard time coming up with an author who writes stuff that is more just flat out original Um, and it's quite funny at times uh, I found myself laughing aloud and reading passages to other people as I went, um, and it's it's just it's delightful. Well, he and he's that's John Lacaray's kid, indeed. And yeah. uh, the Gone Away World is an uh, Angel Maker. Both books I really like. They're both so bizarre. So I'm like, sure this, this that, is very much in that realm. Yeah. realm. It's set it is set in the modern day, um, but it is a slightly a slightly distorted version All of right. our model day. Okay. <laughs> David, uh, you have anything you've read lately you want to recommend? Well, tomorrow is my tenth wedding anniversary, oh, so I thought it was a perfect time to read Gone Girl. Yep, um, <laughs> I read that on my twentieth wedding anniversary trip with my wife, and oh, it was nothing wild. more romantic than Gone Girl. Oh, uh, yeah, so it was. Uh, I think you made a joke about that a couple of podcasts yep. ago, and I had already finished reading it, and I thought it was pretty funny. That I chose that time. <laughs> but I, but I knew there was no way I, it wasn't going to get spoiled for me with the movie coming out, so I had to read yep. it. It had been me on too. my Kindle for a while, so I had to get it done. Um, and I also was just reading um, history, uh, Black Count, which is about Alexander Dumas' father, um, you know, who was a who was actually a slave in the West Indies at one point, and um, mixed race, and then ended up in France and had all these adventures that uh, actually actually influenced Dumas' books, like Count of Monte Cristo and Three Musketeers, a lot. So that, that was a kind of fun read um, for for a nonfiction cool. history. Yeah, Gone Girl is one of those books, and I did say this a couple episodes ago that 
that everybody talks about and everybody's reading. But you know, I can give it an endorsement. It's a really good book. It <laughs> it's is. not. It's people are not reading it because I mean they may be reading it because everybody's reading it. But it's a good book. It's I enjoy it a lot. Although yeah, it is too. it is uh, kind of dark. <laughs> and, and and it surprised me, which doesn't happen very often. With, uh, those yes, kind of books. yes, I didn't know where it was going at several points, which is good. Erica, what uh, other than cramming for this? Any other <laughs> books that you'd like to recommend? Uh, yeah, I have. I've actually been. I think over just the past few months, reading. I think I've read more in the last two months than I have in the past like six years, probably. Um, in part because I got a Kindle Paperweight for my birthday in nice. June, so it makes it so much easier. And also, I think uh, I think I am going to credit Paul Cornell with this sort of renaissance of reading because cramming for uh, for the Shadow Police um, just kind of I was like, oh my gosh, now I remember how books work. This is fantastic. So I read just within the past month and a half uh, i read old man's war by john scalzi um just because my sister recommended it and uh it's it's been around for quite a while I oh think yeah it came out in, that's a good uh, one that's a good book yeah it's enjoyable see i read i read the the um the ya version zoe's tale first because it was a hugo nominee mm-hmm. and i was like well this is great and then i read the whole rest of the series and it's yeah. all it's all good old man's war is I'm, they're making a movie of that or a TV show a TV that. show, I think. there It was in development for a movie for a long time. I think it's now in development as a TV show. Right. And since it's a series, they can mine the whole setting to right. tell those stories. Right. That's a yeah, good one. And it's, it, it, if anybody hasn't heard of it, it's a, it takes place a, a number of years in the future where humans have col- have colonies off uh, in other places and uh, earth is kind of a backwater a little bit and once you get to be 75 if you want to join up and be in the colonial army they will make you young again so it's kind of an interesting story in in that uh, it's it's told from the point of view of of older folks um who are suddenly somewhat young again i won't give any more away it was it was a really well built world yeah. i thought it was I, I like the way he took into account a lot of the uh, possibilities of of what would happen if he did that uh, which he also did in another book that i just read which is his newest book lock in um, where you have uh, it's again a few years in the future totally different universe than the uh, old man's world one um, but uh, there was a disease that uh, a certain left eh, i can't remember how many million people not a huge percentage of the population basically locked into their bodies so they're not able to they're not able to move or communicate in any way but they are totally conscious so with a whole bunch of research uh grants and stuff from the government people are uh given i can't remember exactly what they're called um, but basically robots that they can you know they are lying in their bed but they're controlling these robots that are walking around and speaking with their their voices and and uh it's a it's a, another detective story actually mm-hmm. <laughs> you get another murder mystery that's that just happens to be solved instead of by magicians and and warlocks and stuff by uh in part a uh, an FBI agent who happens to be walking around basically in a robot suit um, which is uh, uh, an interesting <laughs> idea and again he takes these he takes the whole All idea my suits of... are robot suits <laughs> my other car is a robot suit <laughs> Of of what would happen, you know, what, what kind of prejudices there would be in society and what kind of governmental regulations would have to happen or not happen. And it just, it, he extrapolates a lot of that stuff out very nicely. So it, it made it an, an interesting read. Um, I also read, uh, I think it's just a novella, but On a Red Station Drifting by Alette de Baudard. I don't know if that's how you Oh, yeah, that was name. one of the Hugo nominees last year? Yeah, it was from last year. And actually, I yeah, think really it was good. you that... That told me about it because I had really enjoyed um, her her like Scott, story. That was up, Scott and I both commended that one to you. I think because you liked her story this year. Yes, yes. Uh, the Waiting Stars was her story this year. So I liked. I didn't like that as much as I liked The Waiting Stars, mm-hmm. but but I did enjoy it. It was it was more in that same universe. So I yeah I liked that. Um, and I'm also on a um, I'm a big fan of a writer called Sarah Addison Allen, and she writes. Um, it's definitely not exactly science fiction. I guess magical realism with a heart. It's they're very sort of formulaic books about women, and they are just heartwarming, and they all take place in kind of small towns in the south, and most of them sort of are in the same universe. So you get little just kind of nods of crossover between between books, and and I realized that despite the fact that I had already pre-ordered her book that comes out next year, somehow I had missed the book that came out this February. <laughs> I just discovered that. 
that uh, last week. So, of course, in a day and a half, I, I zipped through that book and was was very thrilled. Uh, it's called Lost Lake um, oh. that I had something. And it's it's probably not my favorite of hers, but I think it has, has started me on uh, a much needed reread. So I think I'm going to jump jump in next with the Sugar Queen and uh, and go through all of her stuff again, because it's just for me, those are real comfort reads. They're very, very easy, quick books. And, and they're just it's like a warm blanket. I love oh. them. And I just, uh, I was just on a trip, and I, 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 I destroyed uh, these three books uh, in no time because I liked them so much. Um, and that's been, as recommended by many people on this podcast, Ben Winters' Last Policeman series, so good. Cannot begin to tell you how much I like it. Mm. Um, and the premise for those who haven't heard those other episodes is, um, this guy's a police detective. Um, in a world where he's gotten his promotion to police detective because they keep losing members on the force because uh, scientists have discovered that in about nine months, an asteroid is going to hit the Earth and kill everybody. And that's the, that's the background. And in the foreground, he solves a mystery. And it's a detective. It's a really good first person detective story with a really good voice. Um, there are twists and red herrings like you would expect in any good detective story. But in the background, you've got the fact that the world doesn't work quite like it does in our world. And people are not reacting well in various ways to the idea that everybody's going to be dead in nine months. And there are three books in that series, The Last Detective, Countdown City, and World of Trouble. And they're all um, they're all good. I liked them all a lot. And... Um, and I, I without without spoiling it because it really Scott mentioned this the other the other week and I thought it was maybe a spoiler. It's really and now I see why it's not a spoiler. Um, he doesn't he doesn't wimp out. There 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 isn't a last minute reprieve in the book that's like oh and then everybody was fine. It was all just a misunderstanding. I mean this this is this is um, this is a series about what people do and how they react when they know um, they're not going to make it. And in it is this detective, um, and it's they're great. So high highest recommendation really for that whole series. It's so good. Kind of depressing though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, way to bring us down, Jason. Kind of depressing, but so yeah. good. We're so going good. on our tenth anniversary trip to French Polynesia, and I I was considering reading that trilogy on the trip. But... Yeah, well, since you've read Gone Girl, now why not? <laughs> yeah, at least Don't I can read it on theme. the plane. You know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps up this edition of uh, of the Incomparable Book Club. We'll uh, reconvene in a sewer in London in five years' time to I don't know. Yeah, do I'm going to miss that one. An incantation. <laughs> you you aren't going to miss it, Dan, because the river gods are going to teleport you there with magic. Wow. Well, that's it's a lot cheaper than flying, so I'm yeah. in. All right. <laughs> If it would get me to London, I would I would go for a stop in the sewers. A stop in the sewer, yeah. And you just mm-hmm. come going out of there and then go about your business. <laughs> it's just <laughs> that you don't have to stay in the sewer. You just have the meeting and then you leave and you're you're fine. All right, I, I would like to thank my guests for discussing urban fantasy, London and otherwise, with me tonight, David Burkhart. Thank you for being on after more than two hundred episodes of waiting for your moment to strike. Yep, looking to be uh, forward to being on episode four hundred. Yeah, excellent, excellent. We'll we'll uh, we'll I'll send you an invite. Uh, Dan Morin, thank you as always for being here. It is always a pleasure, especially when it involves words. Words, words are good. And Erica Ensign, thank you so much for coming back and uh, and sharing all these uh, Doctor Who related right <laughs> with me. <laughs> Anytime, anytime. Next time you're doing something with Doctor Who directors, I will. I will be here. Mm, okay, dreamy or otherwise, or otherwise. Yes. All right, fair enough. As long as they're good. And and everybody out there, thanks for listening. We hope without uh, doing too much in the way of spoilers, we've given you a whole bunch of new things you can read if you like this sort of thing, which we all do, and we think you will too. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 